32 counties 32 questions My name is Una I'm Andrea And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us Not this week though because we don't have a county This week's episode is a special all-Ireland if not global universal episode and we're talking Pride This week's question What does the queer community lose when Pride goes mainstream? The week that was, Andrea, busy news week. Three years ago, we were all waking up um, with the Brexit referendum having passed. And Boris continues to be a mess, this time with um, a domestic, even though I hate that term, incident um, with his partner that a neighbour recorded. Now the press are going mental. There's these what kind of look like uh, too good to be true photos of him and his partner on in a, like a field on picnic tables being so much in love, according to the Daily Mail and uh, others in the Tory party asking him to explain what the crack is with PR all of the parties. is just stunning, isn't it? Well, <laughs> like, I don't know if he's going to wrangle his way out of this, but he probably is because the bar is so low for his behaviour. And also, do you know whose advisor is that, that it came out over the weekend? Steve Bannon. Yeah. The links were exposed. Yeah, so he's been kind of coordinating with him on uh, previous speech and that kind of stuff. Bannon's yeah. all over Europe being an absolute gross ball. Um, and telling everyone to wear their racism with pride. Mm-hmm. It's like they have no absolute shame. How are we getting to a point where that's acceptable? It's just the more you keep pushing along, the more it's acceptable. Yeah, and so much rubbish has been normalised with regards to Bannon's work in Europe and Boris being an absolute dose. But is there a route uh, that does not involve him becoming prime minister? I don't think so. I can't see it. Apparently, though, there's going to be um, a table of no... Confidence. Confidence, thank you. It's been another festival weekend, just to clarify. <laughs> um, there's going to be a table of no confidence the day after he's elected, or not elected, made Prime Minister. Yeah, so, so it de- I suppose it depends how long he can actually hold on to it, uh, if slash when he gets it. Anyway, closer to home. Uh, we had been discussing in episode two this whole co-living nonsense that um, Owen Murphy is very enthusiastic about and obviously developers are in Ireland too because they can make shit tons of money. But this week on board Planola refused planning permission for a quote-unquote co-living development in Tala. This was to be a 222-bedroom uh, development in an industrial estate on the edge of Tala, Cookstown. Glad to see my Tala roots leading the charge and saying <laughs> no to co-living. Thank you, Tala this was Richard Barrett's company, um, formerly a uh, partner of Johnny Ronan and Treasury Holdings, and now it's um, Banter Capital, I think. And that was turned it's out. Banter Capital. Ba- not Banter. <laughs> oh Bartra, Bantra, whatever. Oh. Um, that's his. <laughs> banter. Let's have some co living banter. But it was really interesting to see it turned down because yeah. um, no, I mean, I think the Lewis is about half a kilometre away from where they're planning it. Um, shared kitchen on every floor this kind of stuff and basically in Borth Planola said no so with more co-living things uh, being put on board Planola it'll be interesting to see if they're actually going to set a precedent now of saying this isn't adequate housing hope so moving on um, this is an interesting story that has been rolling for a, a while I think my main kind of interest in it with apart from the insane um, opiate uh, epidemic and all of the deaths that have been happening in the US um, also Nan Golden's engagement to trying to get um, the Sackler family who are the owners of Purdue Pharma out of arts funding and she's been kind of um, doing direct actions in different uh, galleries around the world um, primarily in New York actually um, but you'll often see if you go to the Tate in the UK or whatever you know the Sackler family name on all these big plaques as 
massive funders and they are of course um, the family that owns Purdue Pharma and the creators of OxyContin which is kind of seen as ground zero of the opioid yeah. e- epidemic in the US. So what's going on with that buzz, Andrea? Uh, the buzz is that they're being sued for their contribution to the US opioid ep- epidemic. So again, it's we're seeing as people and companies are so focused on profit that the um, what happens to the faci- people who use their products is second uh, to none, really. They don't give a shit. It's literally like, how can we make more money and get more people on the buzz? So... Um, it will be interesting to see if this actually goes through. Yeah, what I was interested as well is that um, Johnson & Johnson are also being sued. Um, they're being brought to court by the state of Oklahoma. I had no idea of their involvement in um, the opioid uh, epidemic. But basically, their um, one of their companies, um, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, was actually um, the guy who invented fentanyl in 1960, Paul Janssen. Um, obviously, fentanyl is another huge, big player in the opioid epidemic. And Johnson & Johnson o- own that drug division, Janssen Pharmaceuticals. So Oklahoma are bringing Johnson & Johnson uh, to court now as well in a multi-billion dollar um, lawsuit for their role. Johnson Johnson have also like had these massive compensation payments. I don't know how many billion dollars it was. Um, after they had asbestos in their baby powder, which is um, shown to cause cancer. They're basically denying that they have any responsibility in the opioid epidemic. But obviously, you know, kind of shows again the real, you know, devastating impact of big pharma while um, other recreational drugs are still criminalised. Yeah, and what it also shows is that they're gaining in popularity, especially in Ireland now. You can see uh, a lot of people are taking um, prescription drugs and be like, it's grand because they're prescription, they're legal, it's fine. And the uh, health warnings aren't going through to people and people are using them um, at the weekends for fun. I have a personal experience of fentanyl as well, actually, because when I was very ill in ho- um, a few years ago, when I was recovering from surgeries related to my cancer, um, I was al- allergic to morphine. And this was kind of only discovered after I'd been given <laughs> a shit ton of morphine. I was just like vomiting for like 48 hours. It was so horrific. And then they basically realized that I was allergic to it. So they gave me fentanyl instead. And really, really quickly, you kind of it just played this trick on you immediately where you're like, you just needed it, you know, such a massive, um, massively powerful and strong painkiller and just gave you this insane high. And then how when you're like released from hospital, you have to come off it. So you have to like take these patches and then you cut the patches in half and they're like decreasing volumes. And it takes you like a week or two to come off even just a few days of fentanyl. It was Where's it was it? so shocking how Quickly. kind of immediately addictive, yeah. I would say. Um, and also the tablet they give it to you is in this kind of like dissolvable lozenge so you can't like stockpile them while you're in like hospital Mm. I know people take those you know motilium fast melts or modium fast melts kind of like that but um, it is a wild drug and you know for people to be taking that off the books and and not in a controlled environment um, I can only just imagine how devastating it is sure there's deliveries now of all these drugs you can get them sent dark web vibes dark web vibes bananas what is this about a bikini okay so misguided launched the one pound bikini um what's misguided misguided is an online uh shopping store so would be one of the main ones is misguided boohoo asos you know my old woman tendencies that i refuse to engage (laughs) with the things that most people see as normal so i don't really buy that's not old woman that's like just being sound okay uh but misguided and boohoo who are 
selling so much clothes that is discarded and I, around I, like in Tropical Popcorn there's a delivery every I'd say 20 minutes for like for one of the different girls from these shops and um, once they wear them on Instagram they won't wear the outfits again so like these clothes have such a short shelf life and they're made from synthetic fibres. So a lot of it is polyester, which doesn't break down, etc. But anyway, these uh, one pound bikini was launched. And obviously there's a lot of issues around how can we be making a product for one pound? Where is the cost hidden? Um, and it's obviously hidden by the people who are making it who are on illegal wages in the UK. So it's not even um, usually it's the we all think of like China or whatever and India. And um, these are being made by people in the UK in Leicester especially and they're on £3 an hour which is uh, a very illegal wage and because of the legislation that's in place it's not tough enough to be able to go after these uh, manufacturers but then on the back of that Boohoo lost a £5 dress which has now been reduced to £4 um, and people are just putting it in their baskets and buying it because it's there and it's only £4 Um, and I suppose even though like we spend a lot of time in the salon I suppose uh, like talking about it and the effects and whatever yet still the the packages keep coming and like I'm guilty of it as well like I don't can't shop in a shop I have to shop online for like because I'm not straight size so like I end up buying things because I have to wear clothes um, so I think there's a lot I think this is going to be our next big thing because the production of clothing makes more CO2 emissions than the aviation and farming altogether. It's absolutely bananas. Plus the water that's used. Yeah. Plus, um, Especially with cotton, right, is terrible for water. Well, luckily, if there was a bit of cotton in those clothes. Yeah. Um, but all the plastics that are used to make the uh, synthetic fibres as well. So, And then they're all going and not breaking down into landfill. So, Can you roll it back there a sec? And you're saying that, oh, sorry, I'm just, I'm really thirsty. I need to open this bottle of sparkling <laughs> water so it's going to fizz. I oh, know it's fine. Um, when you're saying that people are just buying the thing and then wearing it on Instagram and then not wearing it in real life? No, no, they'll wear it for one occasion. Oh, right, okay. But once it's been photographed, they'll never wear it again because you can't be seen. This is the kind of generational thing that's happened now is that once you've been seen in an outfit, you can't be seen in it again. And because of the way that Instagram posts are working, that if you're on a night out, you put up your outfit of the day post on your way out. So you get your little pick and then as you go out then you wear your outfit and then that's it the outfit's done and a new outfit has to be bought for every night out every wedding every weekend etc so I feel like my mum listening to this I'm just like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love working and always try and work with young people because yeah. it keeps you tuned in to what is going on unlike me <laughs> <laughs> granny Malali um, yeah but I just think like we t- it's talked about and it's there's loads of opinion pieces but I think this is going to be the next uh, big thing for our environment like that we just have and there is a lot more if you look at Irish magazines there's a lot more focus on sustainability and how you can shop sustainable and there's loads of new groups setting up of like swap shops and everything so there is ways to do it and a lot of like the main influencers are coming off uh, advertising for the um, online stores which is nice to see Tara Stewart especially was giving talks on sustainability down at Body and Soul and she was a very big uh, user of these I suppose Yeah and she also you know talks an awful lot about shopping in charity shops or whatever which I think is a really great way to shop Um, 
I suppose like a few years ago, there was so much discourse around fast fashion and, you know, sustainable fashion. And maybe people have taken their eye off the ball a little bit because it seems to be now have like plummeted even further if you're talking about bikinis that are I think, but if you look at all the sponsorship around Love Island, for example, it's all these... I know you were you're bad into it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, all the advertising around Love Island is all um, these fast fashion brands. Um, so the like people don't care because they're getting a top or a bikini for a year or a pound. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like the cost benefits are being offset by what is actually happening to the environment. And when you're not like reading the think pieces or whatever, you're like it's unless it's in the mediums that you're. Um, taking in you're not going to be um, exposed to it so uh, like I think that that might be the next thing we need to focus on in a in in these magazines like do they don't the girls don't read magazines even it's like how do you get into their snapchats how do you get into their instagrams to get this message across Unreal issue collab with the NSA you never know <laughs> we'll put that one on hold for a moment How was your week, Andrea? My week was mostly taken up with festivals, surprise, surprise, uh, down at Body and Soul having an absolute ball. It was just phenomenal. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Kid Philippa's set. Mothman's set at the Hennessy Sound Lounge is just like, he's such a great DJ. It's going down as quite legendary of the weekend. Like yeah. everyone is saying it was brilliant, especially because he had SPQ War playing a Dublin classic song, which is unreal, unlimited dreams. Yeah, and ended with So Solid Crew. <laughs> Can't beat it. No. So Body and Soul was the crack and we were very um, responsible in that we both left on Saturday night and were woke up in our beds on Sunday morning. Oh my God, there was nothing as joyous. Actually, there was one thing as joyous. King Kong Company. Mm. I've never been exposed to them and I like they're quite up my street. They're like a little soul wax prodigy vibe and they had the place lit to the absolute tit. It was unbelievable to see the crowd going off. But what was interesting is, and this is kind of something I'm really into, is that there was a show piece. It wasn't just, here's our songs. They were like entertaining, being showmanship, having the crack and enjoying themselves. Like uh, there's a lot to be said for enjoying yourself. Really, yeah, they it? smashed it. It was, uh, yeah, it was really good. And it was sunny on Saturday. We missed the rain down in Africa. Um, oh, my God. I got a bit of my singing on. <laughs> my sister's going to be like, never do that again. <laughs> and meanwhile, another part of our week was a fantastic video um, that uh, is on our Patreon right now. If you want to give us three euro a month to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Uh, that was basically a visual piece of Mango's brilliant tribute to Dublin. So if you want more fun stuff like that, if you want to feel the United Ireland vibes, go to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and give us some cash. And thank you so much to the supporters who already have done that because that's why we're able to make the stuff that we're doing. And thank you to the people who made that video for us as well. That was fab. Big up to them who want to remain anonymous. Cool. This week's county is Gay Ireland. Let's just call it Queer Ireland. This week's question, what does the queer community lose when pride goes mainstream? I don't know if you've noticed anyone, but it is quote unquote pride month. Um, We're going to get into my like irrational dislike of that phrase in a little bit but to talk about this question we have in studio 
Pride Grand Marshal Wilson Ledger and Lisa Connell, who is the managing editor of GCN Gay Community News. Now, both of you guys are very much rooted in queer protest. Lisa, you ran for local election on a marriage equality ticket back when it wasn't cool. Um, <laughs> and you're also a founding member of LGBT Noise, which was the protest direct action group that really um, grew the protest movement uh, for marriage equality in Ireland. You entered the alternative Miss Ireland as Donegal Catch. Stop. <laughs> you did though. You did that. Um, you're one of the mother team bringing queer club vibes to um, Temple Bar and festivals all around the country. And you are the managing editor of GCN. So, suffice to say, you're pretty queer. <laughs> Will, your background in activism, I'm just going to tell you about yourself now for a second. Your background in activism straddles environmental work, Greenpeace, multiple art campaigns to do with everything from consumerism and austerity, homelessness. You were, um, you hold the honour of being arrested uh, for marriage quality protests with Lisa, actually, mm-hmm. during which you climbed the gate of Leinster House. Uh, which was great. You established Equals uh, with Lisa, Lisa, a queer direct action group, and are also heavily involved in ACT UP, advocating for treatment and prevention of HIV. You were also a contestant in Alternative Miss <laughs> Ireland, which you have to be to get into the studio, <laughs> um, highlighting uh, the HIV crisis in Ireland, which is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Back when you were baby gays, <laughs> what did Pride mean to you? Do you want to go first, Lisa? Um, yes. Uh, well, fun fact, it's actually 10 years to the day uh, for our Equals protest. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, which is kind of feels mm. in, in Pride week, mm. month, year. Um, gay Ireland. Um, yeah, no, it's 10 years today, which uh, makes me feel mm-hmm. really old. Um, Take me back to the day of that protest, because so much has changed since then. What mm. happened? Yeah, so we uh, had... Um, the idea or the thought that we needed to um, and actually I think that this the kind of broad stroke of this is really related to what we're going to talk about around Pride where we were queers in a space where there was a lot of advocacy and sort of political um, campaigning happening but there was not maybe so much uh, people power protesting or then direct action and Will was very obviously from his time at Greenpeace uh, was very kind of involved and trained up around nonviolent direct action and I as an activist and kind of a big old queer was very interested in that mechanism so that's why Equals became a thing because we said you know the noise team were brilliant and and they had the March for Marriages kind of we had built up a kind of a it was there was a tipping point that had been reached which was brilliant because all our community kind of went right yes this let's get involved so then Will and I were like right well we can be the little irritants pushing that little bit further because you know Meninia from Marriage Quality at the time wasn't going to be able she didn't have the capacity to be that person out on the street whereas we could and, and wanted to be so we um, she was in the you know lobbying yeah exactly the, yeah. and and that's the that the, the kind of correlation that I would see between the pri- the pride question now and, and what was happening then is that we need all of those parts so you need the more radical edge. You need the advocacy and ally and, and, and you know, lobbying. So all of those things together built up steam. You know, one version wouldn't have done it. Like the radical stuff wouldn't have gotten something over the line. But then similarly, the only advocacy wouldn't have done it. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, there was a civil partnership bill that was shoddy and... Well, it wasn't shoddy. Sorry, that's that's unfair. It was like the Labour bill mm-hmm. um, 
was rejected from the doll and we felt that um will take over for me there. Okay. I just don't want to get uh, uh, bits wrong it either. It was because it was it was literally the day before Fianna Fáil and the oh, Green yes. Party were about to sign the civil partnership bill. Right, yes. And I well, we had felt annoyed about it, it was but it, it was our last chance to do anything. I know we were going to we weren't going to stop it necessarily. I mean it was going to go through anyway. But one of the things that we, we I found kind of distasteful is that they were going to use the, oh, yeah. the Thursday Pride. as a day to launch the sign of the bill and get their big PR stunt just before Pride and mm. you know so they can say and Pride it's like here's a civil partnership bill you know here's the crumbs from the table and we're like I'm just going to swear yeah you can swear I was like <laughs> Oh my God! It's never <laughs> now that I've been asked to given permission to swear, I don't want to swear now. Okay, we're like, okay, that's enough. We've had enough. So we thought direct action, and we we went to the gates of the doll. Um, Buzz O'Neill was a kind of a press person on the day, and Molly was there, mm-hmm. and Lisa chained herself to the gates. Lisa was supposed to be on top of the gate with me. Lot, not a lot of people know that but the reason she wasn't there why Lisa? Well anyone who read Una Mullally's book knows oh, yeah. why because you <laughs> ratted me out so basically the night before I was in Panty Bar as any good <laughs> activist would be and uh, I was kind of really like excited for what we were going to do and of course Will was being sensible at home getting ready for this massive action and I decided to leapfrog across the uh, Capel Street between Capel Street and Parliament Street you know the, the cement blocks yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, casual little leapfrog, landed on my knees, really hurt my knee. And so it was like, Will, I, I, I can't climb now. I was so mad. It was like, oh, God, come on, Lisa, you're supposed to be on top. So Lisa went to the gates, locked herself on. The cops got distracted by that. No, it was the other way around. Yeah, you got I climbed up on a ladder, dressed as a builder, up on top of the gates and took up the tabard and the hat and then had the flag. And while I was... Di- they were distracted by that then Lisa chained herself to the gates she was cut off pretty soon afterwards yeah. because the lock you had was well, she should have had the lock I had mm-hmm. anyway Lisa this was this is really helpful context yeah, for you all sorry Lisa was warned that it, she, she, she had to leave the area or else she'd be arrested so she wasn't arrested on the day but she was threatened with arrest and so she just crossed the road and did like media interviews all day which was really great and you then held the honour <coughs> of, of being arrested um, protest for marriage equality which is a rare occurrence in Ireland yeah it, it is a rare occurrence yeah but you know so I want to talk about like so that's some context of how you guys have actually collaborated in the type of protest mm-hmm. that uh, oftentimes is viewed as um, in an era of acceptability politics which you know I have participated in to a certain extent um, is is not really seen as the way to go about things yet we're talking about a time now you know um, four years on from uh, marriage equality which is kind of bonkers um, where if you walk around uh, the city of Dublin this week um, you know rainbows coming out of every bloody building and um, you know, I was just walking down South William Street there and there's a big A Roadwatch rainbow shutter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm so glad they're on board, I yeah. think. Um, You're and, welcome. And, um, <laughs> you know, so, so uh, and, and the entire narrative on social media around Pride Month. I'm not sure when it became Pride Month or Pride Season. Um, and uh, all of this kind of thing where it's just like a complete kind of rainbow takeover. This is an extremely privileged position to be talking about because we're living in a society that has a semblance of rights. Obviously, because without saying, they're extraordinarily conscious of other places that do not have the privilege of getting irritated by people being too pridey. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I just want to go back to that initial um, thing about like, what did pride mean to you when you were much younger? Not Um, your old. I went to my first pride in 1995 in London and it was brought by my straight friends. I was just out. I was because uh, I left Ireland in the closet, came out in London, 94, 95. I think it was 95 when I went to First Pride and came out to my friends, straight friends, didn't have any gay friends. And uh, they said, Pride is on. Do you want to come to Pride? So I was brought, I was the, I was the, I was the gay ally <laughs> at the First Pride. And it was great. Brilliant. I had a great day. I mean, I got really drunk and, and shifted a guy. It was brilliant. Brill. That was it. That was it for me. Saw the Pet Shop Boys, Holly Johnson. Had Unreal. a great time. Unreal. Yeah. I can't. I can't. Somebody asked me the other day what my first Pride was. I can't remember it. I think the early, those kind of early years just blur into. Yeah. Uh, the, um, I can't either. I wouldn't uh, like. I wouldn't hold up. I wouldn't hold my own memory up to a fact checking. Um, you know, department because because those early ones are exactly like that for me. They're all very merged because there was also for people particularly who would have uh, encountered Dublin Pride. Wood Key was such a, a kind of a formative. That was sort of more Pride than the March almost, yeah. even though the March was of course. And you know, even just the kind of old school vibe of Panty, like literally emceeing the march mm-hmm. yeah from from atop a, a bus yeah because up until up until relatively recently when the when the pride march ended at Dublin City Council at Woodkey you know everybody would bail into that kind of open air type amphitheatre space and there was plenty of room for yeah. everyone um, and also you know some really radical things happened there like Anna McCarthy tearing up the civil partnership bill mm-hmm. um, you know things that you know really were very extraordinarily political. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm generally out of the country for Pride, right? Because it clashes with Glastonbury. I'm going to be out of it again um, this year. So I only now get to participate in Dublin Pride on occasion. Last year, when I went to Pride, um, I uh, was uh, having this like Pride breakfast with all these young um, LGBTQ people. And it was really hugely emotional. Like I was marching with them at the start and their youth workers, um, you know, and these a lot of these um, people were teenagers or, or uh, maybe even younger in some cases. Um, and it was just so phenomenal uh, to see like this kind of swell of queer youth um, mm-hmm. having their moment. And I think really took a completely different context for Pride for me because my early Prides were like these nervous kind of things of like going to the dyke night uh, wherever that was on um, during on the I think it used to be on the, the Friday Friday, Friday yeah. night um, and then just seeing how it has just like transformed into a much earlier formative experience for people was such a different context for me and equally then you're also s- surrounded by like this giant Erlingus float and obviously all of the the corporate stuff and we're increasingly hearing this conversation uh, which is an old conversation like yeah. mm-hmm. is pride too corporate is it you know too mainstreamed um, does it hold re- relevance um, every business jumping on the bandwagon I think that's really uh, really broken through last year and this year in Dublin um, you know Lise you're, you're the editor at you know the biggest kind of um queer publication in the country and obviously there is this balance between the corporate aspect of it and the fact that um, money needs to come into the community and then representing everyone which is Mm. very difficult where do you see that tension between the corporate aspect of it and the queer aspect of it can it be resolved or is it just ever thus 
Yeah, I think it's really um, it's really multifaceted because a lot of the brands and corporates and companies that are you know partaking um, are doing so with really really good intentions. Um, it's often for their LGBT um, kind of like little subgroup in the company, and it's often led by the actual LGBT folk in that company. Um, so so it's sort of there's a really simple narrative that is oh big brands are bad and big tech is bad and that yes okay yes there are absolute problems with certain companies and how you know the irony or supposed hypocrisy around Google and YouTube for example that's something we mustn't be uh, laissez-faire around because it's it is problematic if YouTube are platforming hate and profiting off it as LGBT folk it is our absolute duty to call that out and name it Apparently Google did a speech where they told their staff that if they actually called out the YouTube actions that they would face disciplinary action. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's 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 there's a lot of problem around the idea. I mean, you know, the general idea of pinkwashing, of course, as a as a thing, which is like, you know, if we think about Israel, which I really don't want to get into, but Israel are criticised a lot as a state for um, using LGBT kind of uh, pro- progress um, as a, uh, yeah, as a pinkwash for the other terrible things that they're doing to Palestinian folk. Um, but to bring it back to the pride question, I suppose GCN, um, we are a, a charity where we're a registered charity. We're a not-for-profit business, um, and we rely on advertising from brands. Um, but what we try to do, GCN specifically, I don't want to speak for any other entity right now, is that we try and engage with people um, that are doing good work and that have, you know, because I think for any LGBT person or non-LGBT person, seeing that activity around pride, it's about understanding if it's authentic or not, and if it goes deeper than the rainbow flag. Mm. If 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 it's just a, a little kind of cynical signal, then I think queers are very, we have not a lot of patience for that. Um, and also it feels there's a, a part that is commodifying that, that you know, absolutely the more kind of depending on your kind of outlook, the more for me, there's a part of that that I get really annoyed about because I'm going, oh, Oh, it's all it's all cute now, isn't it? Mm. And and often, you know, businesses that a decade ago would have laughed at me when I tried to engage with them with GCN are now first in line. But there's a part of that that is just progress, like you know. And so it's a it's a delicate dance. And I don't have the answers, by the way, either. Like it's not that there's. I think one of the things I would want and hope for for any prides in kind of more Western global kind of cities and countries is that they need to be much more um, or try to be as kind of interrogative, if that's a good word, like really work with the brands, but in a way that isn't, oh, you've handed us money, so now we're beholden to you. Yeah. It's actually like, you know what, this was wrong or, you know, like RTE and Pride this year, there's a whole, there's a lot of the community that are really unhappy with RTE being back on board as a partner. Um, and, you know, as a as being someone involved with Pride, I was very, I was at the early planning meetings and I and we had very real conversations where we were like, guys, you fucked up. Like you did really wrong by trans folk particularly. Yeah. Um, and so it's like a question of do you cut, shut them out forever? Maybe. But if they come back in and they can do better, is that better overall or not? And so 
I think it's a it's a case by case basis. Yeah, and I think people, besides how you know RT have platformed really terrible discussions um, on trans issues, um, the hurt that a lot of their queer employees still carry from yeah. mm-hmm. their actions during the marriage equality referendum, mm-hmm. you know, that is real pain that's still there. Will, you know, as a queer person being the Grand Marshal, you know, this is such a kind of a figurehead position in the march this year. Um, How did you reconcile that with your own politics and how do you feel about those uh, discussions around it? Well, um, we had, I mean, we had a big, act up the the group that I'm with had a big discussion about whether we want to be in Pride or not this year. So right up until the time that it was asked, we had made the decision that we would, that we would march, that we saw it as an opportunity. We marched the first time last year, the year before we didn't. Uh, we we give out loads of stickers the year before and we integrate with people. But we felt last year we wanted to march because we wanted to actually kind of kind of upset, not upset, but like bring a bit of reality back to it. So, you know, us marching down the street in, you know, active T-shirts and an active banner with HIV, um, <clears throat> with preps that stops HIV and you equals you and shouting the words HIV kind of like through people on the sidelines and I actually found that effective I thought it was good I agree I thought that block mm. like last year was really effective mm. and especially the Palestinian Solidarity block and I think Radical Queers Resist were there as well yes it felt weirdly more political it felt like a more political pride march because of the uh, contrast between yes. like the the real queerness on the ground and people marching and shouting and then the corporate kind of stuff happening behind it. I mean it didn't look like fun and rainbows but you know we do still have fun as a group I mean we're quite a social group too but we br- brought the serious message back but it was so effective last year that we thought let's just bring it back on a bigger scale this year and let's make those voices about HIV and um, all the other issues that's, that um, affect LGBT people uh, bring it to the forefront then when I was asked to be in Pride I said look I'm going to march and so if you're asking me to march up front act up marches in front so then we saw it as an opportunity I mean it's <clears throat> an unmissable opportunity to bring sexual health and the sexual a sexual revolution that needs to happen in terms of public sexual health services um, sex education in schools all of those things are going to be part of our message this year so they're the things we're going to be shouting about I mean really shouting about and like we're going to bring of like a real ruckus to the front of the parade this year. It's not going to be all fun and rainbows. I mean, you're not going to be aggressive either, but it's going to be very pointed. And that's the way I could reconcile myself being in it as well. It's like if it's under these terms and then with this group and on, on this issue, fine, no problem. Um, I can do it. Cool. Um, finally, when it comes to the whole, um, you know, the Pride Month and the Pride season and how um, oftentimes it feels, now this is probably my own shit, Um, projecting right so I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of therapy here maybe is that my own kind of um, dis-ease or discomfort with straight people centering themselves um, at the pride narrative Um, and (laughs) Andrea's doing a little dance beside me (laughs) and and, you know look we're not going to go into like Taylor Swift's crash song (laughs) or, or, or any of that stuff but why am I, why do I feel, tell me, tell me about myself. Why do I feel <laughs> uncomfortable with, um, you know, the Pride Fest and, you know, every second straight person on Twitter or whatever being like, Happy Pride Month, you know, something that a queer person never said in their in their lives probably. Mm. Like, is that a generational thing? Do I need to, like, get over myself of wanting to be on the fringe? Andrea's nodding. <laughs> mm. I mean, I think it's, 
I think Una, I gotta tell you something about yourself. <laughs> no, um I I I mean look, I'm I'm in the same neighborhood as you. I definitely had a moment of being, you know, big old eye roll around certain parts of that that have that that are becoming a fluent way that people communicate around this time of the year. I think yes, there's also the fact that it is just moving on and that progress has happened and so people really feel uh really feel empowered to engage and embrace it. Because if you think about even a few years ago, the kind of conversation between the LGBT community and the non-LGBT community would have been, oh, we don't, you know, we just don't know, what can we say that or, you know, and on the be- in the best version of that, in the really respectful version of that, the, the, what has happened is uh, non-LGBT folk feel really celebratory for us and are like, yay. And also, queers are more fun. It's a fact. That's also just true. <laughs> true. So, of course, they want a, a little flavor of that. But the thing, I guess, that is what what people maybe don't know if they're not queer or they haven't maybe felt super othered before is they don't get all the shit that went down, right. all the hard stuff that you do go through when you are an LGBT for right. person. And the fact is that that for us, those that kind of uh, jubilance is hard fought and yeah. and really feels uh, vital and important. And, you know, we still have LGBT young people who have you know, really, really suffer more with their mental health, are much more uh, kind of vulnerable to mental health stuff and suicide. You know, mm-hmm. trans, young young trans folk, there's a lot of stuff that is still, you know, there's an, an easy and inaccurate narrative that like, you know, hands done and dusted post MARF. Mm-hmm. And we know, particularly LGBT folk, know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And so... I think maybe the Pride Month thing rankles you because you understand that's very, it's very one note. It's not really telling a full story. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, and I, I I was part of a panel about LGBT youth homelessness at the weekend of Body and Soul as you, uh, you, know, you chaired the Saturday session. And one of the things I said that I think is really problematic is the way that social media is encouraging us all to really... Um, everything has to be distilled down to very, very sound bitey, minute, uh, and you know, even the way that, that that stuff gets reported. Like the lads that write for the website, for example, for GCN. Like I hear them having conversations about, oh, but you have to get the keyword into the title, and so there's certain like mechanisms by which news gets dispersed into the world. But there's parts of that that are problematic for how we tell a story because we're minimizing and we're knocking the corners off and we're knocking the kind of nuance and the sophisticated part of the story down into uh, kind An of emoji. A, or yeah, or, or a very, very distilled version. And that's that's where we need to be really careful, about, particularly about LGBT narratives, because they're, they're, they're multifaceted. Cool. Well, we're going to talk to um, Ollie uh, Bell from Trans Pride in a, in a second about how trans people feel included or excluded from this broader um, mainstreaming. But I'm going to give uh, the final word to um, the Grand Marshal of this year's Dublin Pride, Will. Um, ultimately, what does uh, Pride mean to you and what message do you want people to take away from the march on Saturday? So, um, so the message of the Straight Allies is 300, uh, 364 days a year, people, LGBT people, are faced with a lot of, of um, difficulties and, um, and, and obstacles and all those other things. So while as you celebrate Pride on that one day, be mindful of the 364. And then for everybody else, whatever your gender and, and sexual expression is, 
um, stop listening to people telling you what pride is. <laughs> That's it. Stop listening to people saying pride is a protest. It's not a fucking protest if you're going to have a party. If you want to meet your friends and have a party, it's not. You know what I mean? It was for me at one time. Um, pride is this or pride is that. It's whatever you feel on the day, you know? I mean, this year I go and protest. Next year I might not go and protest. Next year I might just go and sit on a float and drink a, a margarita. You know, and treat it as a party. It's whatever, wherever my headspace is at the time. I probably won't, to be honest with you, you know? <laughs> He doesn't like margaritas. I don't so much. like margaritas much. <laughs> you know, that is a really insightful um, and smart way to put it. So thank you so much, Wilson mm. Ledger and Lisa Connell. Happy fucking Pride. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now we are joined in the studio by Ollie Bell, who is the founder of Trans Pride. And as we're talking about, I suppose, what pride means to everyone, um, it's interesting to get another perspective on it. Um, and it would be good to know, I suppose, jumping straight in, do you feel represented at the Pride Parade? Um, I, yeah, not really. Uh, I feel like it is very much overshadowed by companies that uh, a lot of like community groups and activists uh, feel like we're not being represented, that we're sort of being pushed to the background while the companies like Google, Amazon have these big floats that sort of overshadow us. Um, and it's like pride is supposed to be a protest. It started off as a protest. And, you know, until we get full liberation and equality, it will always be a protest. So, uh, yeah, like I feel a lot of trans people don't feel represented by uh, Dublin Pride and other main, all like, uh, sorry, all of the other like prides that are. And I suppose yeah. the companies that are getting involved are really representing more so the LGB section and leaving out the T a lot of the time. Um, I don't even feel like they represent even the L G and B. I feel like they really just represent this sort of uh, pink washing, the sort of that rainbow capitalism that they sort of see uh, all of us, all of the spec, the whole spectrum of. Uh, queer uh, identities is something that they can profit off so I don't feel like they even represent the LGMB even yeah. if they're set up by their staff who are LGBT in the company and they're kind of the people who are rolling it out I suppose I, I just I feel like uh, a lot of these companies um, they they sort of for one month they feel like they can sort of wrap themselves around the rainbow flag and they can sort of pretend for that month that they sort of represent and that they sort of care about LGBT rights but what are they actually doing for the remainder of the year um, and it's not it's not a lot you know so no, I t I t I'm like I'm I'm totally with you on that to be yeah. quite honest like I completely accept the monetary reality that in order for a parade or march or whatever to exist that it is beneficial for companies to um, you know pay for their place on that and then there can be more like parties or whatever but you know this is my entire like miss like we we're just talking to Lisa and Will there about like my kind of underlying misgiving about it and you know parts of that think like okay maybe it's generational maybe I preferred when things were a bit more radical or that there was a different kind of spirit to being on the fringe. And then 
and then it can't be generational because you're younger than me. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that like there is this kind of ball of discontent in me while I completely accept the pragmatism of um, certain aspects of that capitalist aspect of pride or the corporate aspect of pride. I understand it. Like, and I understand that there are queer people in the companies and this is a way for them to be seen or whatever. I get that. But I do think that like, what are we representing? And I also appreciate that this argument is as old as pride itself. I mean, I remember going to like gay shame parties in in London and stuff back in the day, like, you know, how that was a movement against how pride was perceived, I suppose, in, you know, the early 2000s, let's say, as, as essentially for straight people. Um, Can I jump in as the kind of... You're the token straight I'm here, token Andrew. straight. <laughs> but I'm also... Uh, the token straight who has loads of friends who are part of the commercialization and embrace the commercialization and want the commercialization and I suppose for me when I look at it and I look at like I have you in one ear and then I have them in the other ear and um, I kind of look at how we approached uh, repeal and with Unreal that there had to be many voices approaching it and many different uh, ways because the fact is there's a lot of different ways that people engage with politics. So I engage in it in a very pink washing way as a straight fab. I'm not centering myself, just FYI. <laughs> but then I suppose in terms of how my commercial friends, they're delighted to be up on the top of a float with a cape and throwing the rainbows out, whereas then you engage in it in a different way and then you engage in it in a different way. And if we don't yeah. have all those key pieces to make it up, the people who would feel uncomfortable going to a protest but feel comfortable going to a party for their first time at Pride to come out to the wider community then we're not catering for them whereas then if we if it's just a protest you're you're closing it off to people who don't engage like that so how do you bring everyone into the conversation? I I feel like there is um, sort of that Pride can be a a space to celebrate because we have made so many gains since like the decriminalization of homosexuality up to like repeal and winning abortion rights but I I feel like I have no problem with employees marching uh, at Pride but it's just why don't these companies sort of make that donation and, and not have policies have, then that roll out for the rest and not of the year. have that float because if they're just paying for the float, if they're just giving the money to Pride just so they can have a float, then that's just paid advertising, you know? Mm. Um, and that... Uh, I suppose everything yeah. is transactional, though. Yeah. Like, if you give something, you want to get something in return. And I've worked in marketing for so long, and it, even though things are coming from a good place, there still has to be a return for the, for the investment, I suppose. And I know that that feels awful, saying a return on investment on your sexuality or your gender or any of that Um, but I suppose to bring that conversation in again to get support for then the staff in the company so how do we make how do we make that feel right yeah I I know a lot of these companies like even Facebook for example they have a float but they have this transphobic name policy that they're the sort of companies that are marching at Pride are sort of showing that they're like really like LGBT friendly but behind that they have these horrible policies that discriminate that that 
even a trans person on Facebook can't use the name that they prefer that that this they sort of have to use their their birth name or their legal name and you know that's just it's it's just uh it just like it really shows the sort of like what you how do you say it like the sort the of critical yeah the hip, yeah and do you think having them coming into the conversation is a chance to educate them and to get them involved in what, why it should change yeah, but they're not going to fucking change I mean Facebook <laughs> aren't going to do anything that is not uh, orientated around profit are I mean, you joking like they <laughs> I'm like, joking <laughs> I mean you know so this sorry I, I'm, I'm sorry. starting to see you over there um, okay. you know this is what I, I think like <laughs> I think that I think that ultimately what you're saying Andre is is right in many ways in that there are many points of entry to pride. But I think what Ali is saying is completely on the money, pardon the pun, considering that these are transactions and in a commercial world I appreciate that those things need to happen, but for companies that do so much damage um, and Facebook does so much damage. It's like the um, climate change. You're, you can use all this smoke, but if, if you pay off your CO2 emissions. Yeah, you yeah, know, It yeah. feels like it's the payoff or like we can treat people badly, but we're paying it off because we have a pride float. Within the um, the LGBT community itself and how people orientate around pride, Ali, like, so I'm, you know, identify as a dyke, as a lesbian, as a queer woman, you know, how do you feel um, and how do your trans or non-binary peers or genderqueer peers feel around the activity of the community itself around Pride? Does that feel marginalising or? Um, well, I, I feel like the a lot of the trans friends that I have and like just the people that I'm around with, we sort of like we've been sort of reclaiming Pride as a protest for yeah. like since the first Pride I went to in like I think 2016 like I've always seen it as, as a protest and all my friends have seen it as a protest um, and that sort of thing and it was it's sort of I think it's really frustrating for me and the people that are around me to be like like this is a protest like and having like Facebook and Amazon and Google, all those like sort of sh- overshadowing us because we're we're like we're the activists here, you know. We're the ones that are are going out and we're fighting for for equality, you know, um, and this sort of thing. So it is a bit frustrating for us. But see, this is this is why we set up Trans Pride is that we wanted trans voices to be at the forefront at Trans Pride. We sort of it like we don't see ourselves as sort of an alternative pride we see ourselves as a trans pride Mm -hmm. that puts trans voices to the forefront that is really reclaiming that sort of pride as a protest that's um like this year is the 50th anniversary of stonewall and we really want to 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 commemorate that and also like celebrate the achievements we've won since then but also realize that we have so much more to fight for, you know, um, and that at the end of the day, uh, pride is a protest. You know, I keep uh, repeating that, but it is true. It's like unless we are truly free, once we have true liberation, then 
pride can be sort of a celebration, then it can be a party, mm. you know. I guess it's no coincidence that even in 2019 that it is trans folk um, and non-binary folk who are bringing that sense of protest because it was ever thus. Um, and it's also ever thus yeah. that the LGB part of the community does continuously um in my opinion, overshadow, uh, seek, often seek to mainstream and marginalise trans folk who are and have always been at the vanguard of queer liberation. So, I mean, I think it's it's there's a there's a funny echo there mm. that 50 years later, this is, um, you know, there's a similar situation happening. Will you be going to the um, I know that the um, Queer Action Ireland are doing an al- yeah. alternative pride on um, the uh, on this Saturday? Yeah. Uh, so in true non-binary fashion, I'm going to both. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I, tr- I 100% understand why some people don't want to re- like feel that Dublin Pride is sort of unreclaimable, that it's just become this sort of like corporate event, that it's not even our pride anymore. And I truly understand that sort of thing. But I also feel like it is important to reclaim pride that uh, because most most young queer people that are going to pride for the first time uh, don't really like I, I want to be there for them to sort of show them you know this is our event this is for us it's not for the companies it's not for the corporations it's for us but while also I understand the the need for an alternative pride the need to sort of break why some people would want to break away from that so I am I am supporting both you know that's a great yeah. approach and can you tell us about um, trans pride itself yeah so uh, trans pride is uh, happening again this year it's our second year um, and this year's theme is break the binary which uh, we we have we now have an intersex woman who's come on board and is sort of helping us. So we wanted to really uh, highlight that uh, like gender, people are starting to get that gender isn't as sort of rigid as male or female, but even within the trans community or even within the LGBT community, when you say that sex isn't binary, people are like, their minds are blown and we really want to highlight that as well that we want to highlight that the struggles with intersex the intersex community and trans the trans community are so interlinked because we are all we're fighting for we may be fighting for different things but at the end of the day we're fighting for bodily autonomy we're fighting for the right to say that this is my body and you can't tell me or you can't force me to do these things that I don't want to do that you know that we're like even cis people are oppressed by this sort of rigid gender norms and that we really want to show that we should be liberating ourselves we should be uh, liberating ourselves from the gender binary from the sex binary that people like human bodies are are like sort of they're not conformed to these sort of boxes so that's why the theme for this year is break the binary um, and we'll have be having uh, a few speakers uh, from the intersex community speaking about the importance of uh, intersex rights um, and that sort of thing. So, Brilliant. And what time is that at? Uh, that is at 12pm at the Garden of Remembrance, uh, the 6th of July. 
Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. And um, uh, your perspective is brilliant. And I just love that idea of going to all the prides. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much for having me on. As a heterosexual <laughs> female, Andrea, um, but I would say a pretty queer person. I mean, you're a drag queen. You're an amazing ally. You are a massive advocate for LGBT rights. You do loads of stuff for the community. Um, what do you see as your, like, do you feel like you can participate in Pride to the fullness of how you want? Or what is your consciousness around it? Well, as a straight woman, <laughs> I think my opinion is very important. And uh, now, not, I'm not Taylor Swift, but we won't get into that because we've spent seven hours arguing that. Uh, pride to me, I suppose, if I look back on the pride moments that have stood out to me, my main pride moment was when I was on Georgia Street and the pride floats were going by and I was going to meet my friends and Kylie Minogue's All the Lovers started playing and everyone was just having the most positive experience and I started bawling crying on the street and like I'm about to start crying again it was so emotional but I think the emotion in what can be seen as trivial is overlooked a lot of the time and the fact that um, there is half naked men um, in hot pants dancing to Kylie Minogue so freely and positively and joyfully that to me feels like um, protest in itself and but it also feels like a celebration and then um, I suppose I'm, I have friends across the spectrum of what pride means to them so some of my friends um, it just means the party and if I'm honest I'm only going to the parties bits of pride I'm not a protester and even from everything of Unreal I, was, I never like going to protests it was never our vibe we were like we wanted to throw some glitter on the situation and I suppose that's the side of pride that I identify with is the glitter throwing but that doesn't mean that the emotional side is any less and mm. that the protest side is any less it's just I engage with politics and glitter throwing and um, protest in a different way and I'll still do everything I can for those rights to happen, but I'm not going to be standing with a placard doing it or um, outside the doll. It's just not my vibe. And that's OK. Yeah. I mean, I know I was um, going hard on, on the, the companies there. And I think, um, you know, I definitely would go hard on the companies, but not the people. Do you know what I mean? Because I think there is absolutely all access uh, points and all participations are completely valid. You know, like yeah. Will was saying, I thought that was very insightful. Do you know what though? And I would well, never ever judge anybody for just being like, they, I just want to go and party. Like, of course, you're not going to be like, no, you should be there fucking protesting or whatever. Like that is, you know, I, I would never ever dictate to somebody how they should enjoy, act, protest yeah. in any kind of way um, in, in an LGBT space or in an ally space ever. But just on the company side, and I know this is ironic, because I literally spend my life trying to fight against capitalism and I'm just happy with my one little nail bar. But the thing from coming from a PR perspective is that I've been on the back foot of having um, people attack the brand for something that had a good intention and that they were doing as to support the arts or to support the LGBT community or whatever. And then to have it thrown back in the face, it's like, why the fuck did we bother doing that because we were coming through that we wanted to support it and then I think it's it's upsetting for them the people involved uh, the marketing director was crying at one of these 
situations and I think it's very easy to tar all companies with the brush of Facebook or Google or whatever but that there is a lot of the time intentions behind that that are real honest and wanting to do the right thing. Yeah, I think intentions are important and I think follow-up is important too. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, parachuting into a space um, that you would have, have no connection with, um, as Lisa said, you know, queer people can really see who the ba- yeah. who who are the bandwagoners and who are um, who were actually there for the cause. And I suppose that, you know, the underpinning of that um, resistance to certain aspects of commercialisation is because of you know, the pain that does underscore queer liberation and that's seeing people just trying to um, capitalise on from a marketing sense uh, once the hard work has been done can be quite an affront. Absolutely. But then do you go back to the people who, like, let's say the baby gays now who haven't gone through that uh, hardship, that they have to go through hardship before they're able to have that Experience? No, so. absolutely not. Because so then, older people went through hardship so that people could have an easier time. Exactly. So and they're so, the people who are working in these companies now who are bringing these things to the forefront. So how do they validate their existence of being able to do this? Obviously, by doing it in a way that brings it through 365 days rather than the day of the float and then they're out. And I th- but I do think that a lot of the companies are doing that now. I think it depends what company it is. I mean, in terms of, I'm not going to ask somebody who... I can't believe I'm standing up for all these big companies. It's like my worst position ever. No, but I... I, And you're not. You're just, you know, having a chat about it. But, you know, I'm never going to um, dictate to somebody that they should emotionally experience something in a certain way. You know, that would be completely inauthentic and weird. And so many more people did so much harder work um, than my generation ever did so that I could be having this conversation with you right now and loads of other people did the wor- other work so that people in you know Dublin Bus or Google or RTE or whatever could actually be in a position where supporting a queer event uh, would not see them fired or their company you know boycotted mm. which is what the you know experience was uh, not so long ago and still is in yeah. lots of other countries so Every participation is valid, including boycotting, including protest, including engagement, including partying, including not giving a fuck, including sleeping in and missing the whole thing. You know, we are in such a privileged position um, in this in this country as queer people. And there is also so much work to do, um, particularly um, with our with our uh, trans brothers and sisters and other folks, um, because as we know that there is uh, in our neighbours in the UK, a really warped conversation Mm -hmm. happening around trans rights right now. So, you know, all of my love this weekend is with every single person um, on that street and also with the people who can't go out there, who are not at that point yet. And who are just in the clubs having margaritas. Big time. What is getting in the sea this week, Andre? I know it's going to be something extraordinarily serious. It is so hard hitting, or not as the case may fucking be. These soft base pizzas that are springing up all over Dublin and around the country. And we're getting, this is a traditional pizza. It's all like covered in leopard print burnt bits. Yeah, soft bits. What is the problem with giving us a thin, crispy pizza? And as someone who is a big advocate of Italian uh, cuisine and... And men. And men. (laughs) Um, Oh, God, that was really creepy, wasn't it? God. Um, 
But it's just so frustrating that you can't order a pizza these days without A, the crust being halfway down so you're only getting a suggestion of cheese and B, that crust is so chewy and it's being heralded as this amazing pizza. N-O, get in the sea. Fave bits this week. Well, by the time you listen to this podcast, I will be at Glastonbury, which is my special place. It is my happy place. It is my favourite time of the year when I go. Last year was a fallow year, so I wasn't there. I just don't want the description. I want to know why. Because there is a feeling of escape that I don't think you get from other festivals. Obviously, it's quite big, so you're very immersed. But I also think because everybody who's there really wants to be there. I mean, I think something like three million people went for the tickets um, this year and there's about 200,000 people on site. So everybody's super invested in being there. Um, The staff, the volunteers, all of the people working on the bars are so great. The set design everywhere is just fantastic. The production is always amazing. I mean, you're talking, you know, hundreds of stages, thousands of acts and... um, it's a really special place and there's nothing like sitting up at the stone circle and looking over the site at sunrise or namaste namaste (laughs) or waking up in your tent and having beautiful view of the whole festival site and the randomers that you meet and the music that you discover Um, I just can't wait so there's a special magic in festivals and obviously the magic intensifies with Glastonbury but it's too intense no, it's not too intense. You've never been. You don't know. I know. Just but also because the site is very, you know, very particular, and also, very magical. I don't like carrying things. That's why I like Irish festivals, because I can just bring a pair of knickers. Finally, we're getting to the root <laughs> of the situation. A pair of knickers and a lipstick and I'm done for the whole weekend. Whereas I feel like Glastonbury, you really have to carry things. You do, yeah. yeah like my why. girlfriend brings a coffee maker and like a little gas ring to like make... Her coffee and well, everything. Well, Sarah's and quite the hero after collecting us for Vladimir. So. She did collect us at half one Hi, in the morning. Sarah. For so. Hi, Sarah. I love you. Okay, so that's my fave bit. My fave bits, there's two of them. First up is this thing called No More Hotels. It is a club night that myself and my friend Dave are doing as a reaction to all the uh, bulldozing of cultural spaces to make way for hotels and things that are more commercially viable. And whilst uh, it's not just a club night, it's more an education, I suppose, that to run a club night, you need to make it commercially viable. And how do we do that while our legislation is in absolute tatters? Um, We're being sent home at 3am. People are prinking till 1. So you have two hours to make money if you're a club promoter. So we're trying to switch that round and bring it that we get clubbers in early, start early and provide entertainment so you don't have people just sipping on a Smirnoff ice in a black box for 11 hours. Nobody's going to go. So we're doing a dinner and a cabaret a la Leo in Ibiza um, and then that turns into a dirty, filthy sesh um, downstairs with loads (laughs) of disco DJs. But there, there will be performances throughout the night. There will be stuff to keep you entertained and taking the emphasis away from substances so you're not just going out to get locked or to get mad out of it you're going out to have a social night to listen to music to engage with people to have a community and to bring back the glamour of a Saturday night do you remember when you used to I don't know if you went to pod pod was a big yes, thing for me yes of course um, and it was every Saturday night you would spend 
your Saturday afternoon getting your bits in town to your t- going out top or whatever but we don't do that anymore we're sustainable fashion but what we do now is you, we're trying to get back to the time where like people who like to rave because obviously uh, people who spend their whole day getting ready to go out on a Saturday night go to a particular type of club that we're not trying to be but it's trying to get the glamour back into the rave essentially and that you spend your night having a couple of drinks getting ready putting your uh, mascara on before you if you want to uh, before you go out and meet your pals to go on the sesh so that is no more hotel so have a look for us on Instagram when is that happening oh (laughs) I forgot for a minute 10th of August in Wigwam uh, from Dinners starts from 8 o'clock. Those tickets are nearly sold out, so get on to the Eventbrite stat. And the link for that is in the bio of No More Hotels on Instagram. Amazing. Well done. Thank you. Hopefully it's good. It will be. It'll be fab. What's your other fave bit? My other fave bit is uh, journalist, political journalist Alan Coyne is joining Joe.ie. And I have a particular... uh, Graw for Ellen because I love the fact that she's a glam bitch and she's kind of everything that Hunreal tried to be for repeal in that it was like we can be political and still love love Ireland. Uh, we can be political and still want to get extensions and uh, glam nails and be a glam bitch and not that it's about being a glam bitch but she also has just a great attitude and she just is a journalist I really look up to and she's also a journalist who breaks a lot of the great political stories as well she did great stuff in the time so I'm really interested to see how she rolls out in Joe.ie Yeah so she's going to be their new head of politics Um, I have so much respect for Ellen you know she's just so smart anytime you see her do any talks um, or panel things or whatever like her flow is incredible how she encapsulates the profession her experience the stories that she's working on and her perspective so she's just a total political animal and with glam said, hair with glam hair <laughs> she, and like she's a, she's a rock star so more power to you Alan and um, uh, great hire by joe.ie and I hope you rock it because I know you will yay Before we leave you, why don't you join us? Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. We Three- spent the whole of this podcast going, it's not about the commercial side. And we're literally like, ah, but go on, give us a few euros. Well, that's life, isn't it? Anyway. Go on, capitalism. No, that is not capitalism. What that does is allow us to do fab things. And we were so excited about Mango's uh, homage to Dublin that we got to do that video. So if you can continue to support us, we'll be able to do more stuff that will be able to shine a light on the wonderful country that we have. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan and Castaway Media. Welcome back to the podcast Puzzle to Susie Bennett. Thanks to Crystal Clear for our music, Sarah Fox for our design you for listening and especially to our beautiful Patreon supporters you can find links to all of our socials on our website unitedirelandpodcast.com and if you're enjoying listening do let us know tweets stories you know what the currency of life is these days it's social currency give us some before we go our tuna chicken roll this week oh it's such a festival vibe of a song um, and we're we're in the midst of festival season for our joy and sadness um, but it is Feel My Needs by Vice and it's the purple disco machine we've been Una Mullally and Andrea Horan this has been United, United Ireland. Ireland and that was Pride, Pride.